0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to uh, Behind Massive Screens, a game development podcast here from Massive Entertainment in Malmö, Sweden. My name's Dori, joined by my co-host, Petter. And, uh, well, today we are going to be tackling a subject that neither one of us really has any in-depth knowledge on at all. So... We are going to be putting ourselves in the shoes of, well, maybe some of you listeners out there that uh, aren't really familiar, and we're going to try to gain a much deeper understanding of the subject as we go. So with that said. Yeah,
1: just just be patient. Uh, I just want to uh, briefly, I started sending you screenshots of another podcast studio that I found on YouTube yeah. with like couches and it was a really nice like comfortable chair and their microphones and Joel McHale was just like lying on a couch why don't we have that well i w- i want it so I bad. i think right i would now, need
0: but... to start the explanation with a short physics lecture uh, pointing out the space that we have in here Let's it may look uh, it. bigger Let's on camera it. than it actually is but like sneaking in here and actually sitting down it's it gets quite tight so that would be the number one thing. Um, where in here are you going to fit a couch? I
1: don't, I Fix it.
0: Yeah. Also, I, I feel, uh, you know, with both podcasts and video in general, as soon as you sit down on a couch and you slouch down, so does your general energy.
1: I just want a comfy couch.
0: Yeah. You're not going to get it. Damn it. Onwards to today's show. Uh, we <laughs> have a um, wonderful guest here, uh, Omar, who is a senior online programmer. So. That may hint towards what we're going to be talking about today, which is, <laughs> well, online programming. Yes. Uh, so, I think let's start with the classic question before we get into uh, light-hearted but deep discussion, as we always do. That's and that is, do, yeah. what does a senior online programmer do? Like, what is the function? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is the function? Yeah. It's a programming joke. <laughs> yep.
2: Exactly. Uh, Ruby write code. Yeah, but um, yeah, like the term is a a little bit of an umbrella term because you get to do many things, but in general, it's more about um, making sure that, you know, the players are able to connect to your game if it's a multiplayer game and also taking care of things like, you know, matchmaking, how the players connect with each other, how they are, uh, how they they join the same match and, you know, based on the skill. Their skill rating and all that, and how they do voice communication, how, they, how the game state synchronizes between the different players and so on. So all of these things. And, um, and you also get to communicate with a lot of different departments in, in the game development uh, uh, ecosystem. So animators, uh, audio designers, A lot of things uh, fall into place and we can talk about that. So
0: basically any department that is making something, if the question is, if needs to interact with other players, then talk to you. Exactly. (laughs) I'm filled with programming (laughs) jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
2: That's it in a nutshell, basically.
1: Why do we keep inviting people that are much smarter than us to this podcast? Because that's the allure of the podcast. Ah, okay, okay, okay.
0: So, but yeah. So the, the the second big question that we always get out of the way right at the beginning uh, is, well, your journey to where you are now. How did you well end up at Massive? But also, how did you get into this specific field of uh, working within games?
2: Okay. Well, um, tighten your seat belt, so <laughs> All right. So it 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 really started, um, you know, because of. Uh, my dad, who was pushing me since a young age into games, uh, like uh, surprisingly, he was like pushing all the latest games uh, my way. And uh, yeah, at some point I, I in, in my childhood, I, I just figured that, you know, I want to do something regarding this, like games or movies. And at that time, I was really fascinated by um, animation. So originally I wanted to be an animator and towards like... Before Right before college, I was doing 3D modeling and, you know, um, just character rigging and animation, but not crazy stuff, but, you know, just, you know, it's honest work. It's not much, (laughs) but it's honest work. And um, I was really happy with that. But uh, when I started going into, you know, applying for universities and stuff, and I did not find the best curriculum, you, you could say. So... The next big thing for me was like, okay, why not work in programming? Uh, So I might not be doing the animation, but I could be writing the programs that the animators use to make Mm. the animation. Right. So still have some fun with this. Um, so yeah, I went ahead and uh, went for a computer science degree. And I have to say that, you know, I'm really thankful for my mom who helped a lot with this and, uh, you know, and two of my amazing professors who were there from the very start, uh, Professor Huayda, here's a shout out. (laughs) Um, She was the one who pushed me like right from the start, from the second course. Uh, I was like, you know, just telling her what's an integer, what's a float. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, have.
0: I know that. (laughs) Hmm? Well, okay. Explain No, in depth. (laughs) <laughs> Not like,
2: a, like basically the data types that you deal with when you're programming. What, what
0: Omar said. <laughs> um,
2: so I was at that level and then I was telling her, but I want to be a game programmer. And she was like, oh yeah, sure. yeah, Go ahead and look in the library or something. So I went ahead on a searching journey and then, you know, I, I stumbled across uh, Unreal Engine 3. But at the time that was closed to big studios. So... Uh, the only thing that was available was, like, uh, Unreal Development Kit. Right. And uh, I started using that thing. And, you know, it had its own programming language, but it was nothing crazy. Like, you can still map what you're studying in the course to that. And, uh, yeah, I just went ahead and with it. And uh, at the time, Ubisoft had um, Tom Clancy's End War coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that game was, like... Uh, a, you know change it mind changing experience for me because um you know the whole voice control thing you're able to control the the units with your voice, so I went ahead and tried to integrate the windows uh, speech to text uh, thingy, and uh, I had something that kind of worked, and that was like during that time uh very early on in the in the computer science degree so that was fascinating for me so towards the end i managed to get some friends along and then we worked uh on our thesis project uh on a crowd simulation engine um and that was also uh, pretty good and that's what made me uh after graduation i i joined the game studio in egypt this is where i'm from um and then i worked there for a bit and then you know i said maybe it's time to discover you know what's out there as well and this is the interesting part, I guess, because I went into fintech, so mm. it's not game development at all. And I worked in uh, data science and data engineering there. Right. Um, but you can see, you can say that you know I learned a lot during that because I had to handle a lot of traffic uh, from data coming in and analyzing all this stuff, and uh, you know having this data served to a lot of users so you can see it's kind of overlapping with the requirements in the the game dev uh, industry as well um but then i went to a game dev conference um and then i met a lot of people from the industry again and then i was like okay i have to get back (laughs) (laughs) and uh, yeah this is when i uh when i applied for massive and uh yeah uh, it's great to be here yeah. yeah, and the rest is history. And the rest is history. <laughs> yeah.
1: What was it with computer science that, was it just that, okay, there are no animator courses available, and so I just got to computer science, or was there a moment where you thought, but where it clicked, like, okay.
2: Yeah, there there was not, like, a very, um, like, Specific course uh, or curriculum that I liked. Uh, you know, you, you open the the degree curriculum and you look at the courses, and not all of them are that interesting. And I was interested in more of the traditional animation, like you know, drawing stuff, and right. and it had that's a big, pretty big leap, man. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's. Uh, but I'm I'm not good with art or anything. I, I this that was my intention <laughs> right. uh, before, uh, but. Again, it it helped me a lot because now I can understand at least uh, what uh, the different teams are talking about, because I tried to deal with this before, Uh, you know, animation and uh, the different programs like 3D Studio Max and Maya and all that stuff. Um, Yeah, but um, it it is a big leap. Uh, (laughs) uh, But at the end, uh, I, I found it more kind of impactful to be, from my perspective, to be working on enabling the artists to yeah. uh, get what they want or what they have in mind, which can be really complicated. If you, <laughs> I,
1: Yeah, I think, I think sometimes it's easy when you think about game dev to kind of uh, forget about that part. Like yeah. you, you think game dev and you think about the animation and you think about the game design, but sometimes like the tools actually, somebody has to make them yeah, in like, the first place.
0: And if if you if you fire up any of the the game engines and you have all these tools that enable you to do stuff visually and like in nodes and and yep. make it more like a uh, yeah a a visual uh, way to work, but then you think oh well somebody had to not only understand what they wanted out of it but then also had to program and make those tools, mm-hmm. which
2: yeah that that's it's my. <laughs> 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 the, the rabbit hole just goes deeper and deeper, uh, yeah. and deeper and sometimes it's it's crazy because sometimes these people don't get the spotlight at the yeah, end exactly yeah because you know uh, the movie gets the spotlight or the game gets the spotlight but you know the poor guy who had to write this uh, code to you know enable them so it's it's yeah it's nice to think of the whole ecosystem how it uh, comes together i think
0: yeah because like when when you think of uh games versus movies. When when you're making a movie, yes you need to dress up the set, but you're basically making everything out of real world things and, and shooting it. And then in game dev you're making it from scratch. Yeah. But then <laughs> what you're using to make that has to also have to be be made, which is yeah. Yeah, yeah. we can we can
1: sit here and just yeah. <laughs> dig, dig our holes deeper and yeah, deeper. Yeah, or, or, become a whole philosophical. Yeah, or, or we can move on. <laughs> or, or we can ask more and more questions. Um, but it, again, that's leap going from animation to to computer science and coding. What was it with the code itself? Like, Because obviously now you're senior online programmer here, so obviously mm-hmm. something stuck with you. Yeah. Uh, what was it with code and coding that kind of made you continue on that journey?
2: Okay. Oh, that's deep uh <laughs> <laughs> well uh i i think it's it's really fascinating uh you know i've been working with with computers for uh, some time now but uh to every day when i when i think about it you know i'm writing some high level english language kind of uh, programming and then that gets converted in the end to electrical signals so yep. all of this gets you know Uh, it's electrical signals. And uh, that is fascinating for me, you know, because, uh, you know, all this AI stuff and chat GPT matrix multiplications, and then at the end of the day, they're also electrical signals. So this interaction with the hardware, you know, that you can just write something and then it magically becomes electrical signals that you can see on the screen with some direct feedback that was crazy for me and that's what kept me going and trying to understand how it works deep inside as well Uh, like from the operating system to the hardware to the to the memory how the processor communicates with the memory how it communicates with the graphics card with the network card and all of these things. And it's such a magical thing uh, when you get into it. But it's a rabbit hole, as you said. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I,
1: I love talking to programmers for that reason. We've done a couple of episodes uh, about various forms of programming and programming in general. And I, I just find it so fascinating because basically any program you talk to have that kind of relationship to it. Once they've done it for a long time, uh, something about the, like a philosophy of, of coding some somehow you think about it like or it's easy to think about it just like text on the screen and then stuff happens (laughs) but for coders more often than not it's something more than that it's almost like it's a a, a magical thing
2: yep uh I, i i completely agree and um you know it's it's also like if you care about you know the performance of your code and stuff and then you start having to look into the mathematics of it mm-hmm. and this is when it becomes really beautiful because you can model a lot of things using mathematics in code uh in programming i mean and um even like le- really large systems and you know how you how you can architect these systems together and um yeah it's, it's just fascinating and the, the coding is is not usually the greatest thing uh, like at some point you start yeah, okay, I, I love programming, but it's not the only thing that you care about. You you start caring about the whole architecture of things, right. how they fit together, how systems, how can you make these systems modular? How can you, you know, make them fault tolerant? What if the system crashes? Uh, you know, how can it recover um, something like Google? How does it keep going forever, you know, and uh, with people attacking it and everything, How how do you survive with all of this? So this is the thing that, you know, you start thinking about it more as you progress in in your career. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's always fascinating.
1: (laughs) And then we're moving it online as well.
2: Oh yes.
0: Because yeah, we want to, like you said, we've done some episodes on programming itself, but we want to focus on, well, online Mm -hmm. programming. And I thought I'd open it up by, well, not a dumb question, but a very, Mm very uh, basic question and that is i play a lot of games and uh, the one thing that you always see out there as a like a complaint from gamers and i i'm guilty of this myself i miss a headshot mm-hmm. and uh, immediately i go ah bad netcode yeah so first of all like what is netcode and <laughs> and <laughs> how does it work <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yeah that's uh the problem is th- this netcode thing is only something that uh, i think it's only there on the internet the, the, there's no textbook uh, that you can you know open up and find net netcode uh, as a as a scientific term <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah that's that's what uh, the culture is out there like you know people uh, use that word but it's like an a big umbrella term to what is going on here um so it's a bit complicated, so we can maybe talk about the different parts that contribute to it. Absolutely. So um, you have your, you know, starting with, uh, with the connection uh, in your home. If you're using Wi-Fi, if you're using Ethernet, that can affect it because, you know, with Wi-Fi, uh, if you have your family using it as well, then, you know, you, it can affect the signal. And then that can affect also the traffic that uh, your computer is sending out on the wire. So that's one thing. Uh so use an ethernet maybe. That helps. <laughs> uh the second thing is usually where you are in the world. So where you 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 are geographically in the world. So if you're trying to connect to some players in Europe or the US and you're in the Middle East for example then of course you'll have a lot of latency because these packets have to travel across continents sometimes all the
0: signals need to meet (laughs) at some central location which is going to be physically further away from somebody
2: exactly and the the whole thing with the internet is that it's its intention is to deliver this data but not in the fastest way so it can make you take a very long route as long as you're going to reach your goal that's that's what it's you know intention was and that's what You know, since it was invented, that was the case, but we're still using it today and we wanted to work with speedy stuff. So (laughs) that's the problem then. So uh, um, that can take a long time if you're, as we said, if you're in different continents and uh, sometimes you don't even guarantee that it's going to reach there, uh, the end destination. So you have to repeat this work and that can increase the latency that you experience. So one way to fix this would be to start game servers near, near your players. But, you know, you have to have a large player base there so that, you know, you start this process and all of this. Um, the very last thing, part uh, of, of this netcode scenario is how the architecture of your game is set up. So uh, you, you can hear stuff like client-server architecture or peer-to-peer architecture. And and these kind of terms, um, and that's that does have an effect as well on on how you perceive this netcode uh, situation. So, uh, for example, peer to peer games, um, w- which some of them are implemented that way, um, all the different players have to com- all the time synchronize with e- with each other their states. Uh, so some games like, you know, RTS, like um, Age of Empires or any of this category of games, they work in usually with something like the peer-to-peer architecture and all the all the clients have to synchronize. And, you know, if you're lagging, you're bringing everyone down with you, you know, like waiting for this player uh, to finish their turn or yeah. something.
0: So, so the speed goes down to the lowest common denominator. Yep. Basically.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and sometimes they also have... Uh, they run a very deterministic simulation. Uh, You know, all these animals moving in the world and all the different physics and everything, that's running with a deterministic simulation. So everyone is having the same kind of simulation run on their uh, machines. And that is also synchronized. So if somebody falls behind, everybody has to rewind and resynchronize again so that they move to the same state. But sometimes this player can get really out of sync that it completely fails to recover, and then the whole game closes or the player is kicked out, and everybody's unhappy mm-hmm. right so that is one thing, but that doesn't explain the 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 bullet thingy no. um so well, well sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah if if it's running that way um but yeah, there is another way which is the client server architecture so. Uh, the server is the one that is that has the authority over all of our actions. And we are basically, when, when you shoot something, the game will simulate it locally for you so that you get the, the direct feedback right away. You know, I shot this person. All right, have have all the bullet effects and all the blood effects and everything uh, appear for you. But if the server decides after you send this information that, you're, that the other player is not there in the first place, then it will correct it for you. And then you'll be like, oh man, why didn't it hit this person? You know, I shot the whole magazine at, at, at this person and nothing happened. Uh, so you get that effect as well. And that can be part of it due to latency from other players or the server itself being completely overloaded, that it, it's, it has, it's having delays sending these updates. Yeah, or, or uh, a lower tick rate. Yeah, exactly. So that is something. Uh, You know, the server sends data, not necessarily at 60 frames. It can be sending it at 10 frames sometimes. And on the client side, on the player side, it's only doing predictions and uh, like estimating where the other players are. So, you know, if you get this effect of people running indefinitely sometimes and, you know, jumping off a cliff or something or, you know, going down the map. And this is all because of this prediction code that sometimes if it's too severe it can show up in 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 all of these crazy ways
1: <laughs> that kind of brings us to um, the cooperation i i still think that we're haven't really touched on, on on the online programming moving from what we were talking about before about creating these tools for for other people to use and then to to the online part now we, we've talked about netcode now uh, but I think this kind of brings us into your job as an online mm-hmm. programmer to work with the other teams, to yep. work with gameplay, for example, to make sure that these things are at least minimized. Yeah. Like how how does that cooperation between you and other teams, your team and other teams look generally?
2: Yeah, it starts really by, you know, um, of course, the game team having the idea for their gameplay and stuff, and you know, and then we can um think about what's the perfect architecture, uh, the the same thing we talked about right now, uh, that would work, would work for them. And then this architecture would sort of dictate how they also implement their gameplay code and their animations and stuff. So, you know, if, if you, we have to communicate with gameplay programmers because, you know, they will be coming for us saying, uh, well, I I have this attack this weird ability and it's a combo kind of thing. And I, I I wanted to execute correctly and replicate to the other player. So they see this thing and then we'll have to communicate on how we can do this uh, kind of uh, work together, you know? Um, So it's not, it's not us who are implementing all of this all the time. It's like sometimes the online programmers are, are only, Um, They only care about how the bytes are sent over the network, but we have to provide the API or or the interface to the gameplay programmer so that they call us in in a very easy way. And they don't have to worry about, you know, oh, this byte uh, arrived early or this byte arrived late and so on. Uh, And you can also be talking to animators. So something like this peer-to-peer architecture thing, you know, if... If your game, you know, we talked about this deterministic simulation thing, sometimes you'll have to force the animations to be a certain number of frames, for example, for it, for it to work. Mm. So you will have to be influencing other teams, uh, you know, just by taking an architecture choice, for example. And sometimes you have to keep doing these trade-offs between them uh, to arrive at the best thing that would satisfy everyone.
1: Yeah. it Has there ever been a, a situation where a gameplay programmer comes to you and have this idea and you're going to know that's not going to work like <laughs> physically with with the information being transferred?
2: Uh, no, I mean, it, that's the beauty of, of our job is you, you try to get it to work. And right. uh, the thing is, sometimes you might make some um, like kind of Um, sacrifices Um, and you might not have the full kind of idea of what they had in mind first but you you eventually arrive at a solution that is in the middle ground Um, so yeah sometimes you know maybe it would be like I want to send this information um, um, you know per character in the game but then you'd be like okay but what about you know you batch some characters and send all of this information at once might be better so you then you are trying to sort of influence their their way of writing the code as well um but yeah there hasn't been a part where you know you're like no this can't be done because that's part of the problem solving situation that we do as programmers yep
1: uh so how how let's go down to basics. We tend to ask this question as well but I think it's uh an in- interesting one. Like how do you start working on a thing like like this? If I come to you and say okay so I want character A to be able to shoot a character B, everything is going over over the internet. Where do you start? How where do you come in and where do you like start figuring out okay so here's where my job starts
2: and here is where it ends. Okay. If that question makes sense. Kind of. I'll try to answer it in the <laughs> <laughs> in in the area. Again, where
1: that's is that? Yeah. We have no idea where, where, about any of this.
2: Yeah. So I mean, well, first of all, you know, uh, the gameplay programmers will be working using a game engine. You know, can be whatever game engine. So you will have to make sure that um, this. The technique that you're gonna use to transfer this information is already is is in the engine or not, and if it's not, then that's the first step. You'll have to be integrating that to the engine so that people can use it uh, uh, later on, and yeah, then they they can come to you and say, "Okay, I want to shoot," uh, as you said, "shoot this weapon at this at uh, this character and so on." So you you probably can you know try to explain it to them uh what they need to do exactly uh but it's more of we will you know you, you will provide them with some library or some interface that they can communicate with uh that is a bit higher level than what we are doing at you know with online programming so as i said they don't have to worry about the certain number of bytes that are being transferred they will just come to you and say uh oh, here's um here's this object that I want to send and how does that happen is that, you know, this object or this uh, bullet or, or character that you're trying to transfer over the wire that is made up of just bytes in memory. And, um, what happens is that, you know, what the code we, we write is usually, it it takes these bytes and, you know, tries to compress them in the best compact form possible and then sends them over the wire. so that, that stuff is kind of transparent to the gameplay programmer. He doesn't have to worry about any of this. Um, they will only be kind of, um, you know, concerned about, okay, does this replicate to all the players in the session? Or does it replicate to a certain player? Can I make it replicate to a certain player, for example? Um, I don't want things to be replicating to myself again you know i'm i'm the owner of this i don't want, uh to to the network or the server to be sending me my own information yeah, taking so, up bandwidth yeah exactly yeah. so this this kind of questions probably they will be asking um you know if, how how to do this in the best possible manner and and so on right um and of course you can be helping with things like um um you know giving some directions on not everything has to be uh synchronized all the time so you know if there's if it's a huge map for example and you know there's stuff happening in the background way back it doesn't have to be sent every frame for example so you you can be sort of trying to help with these kind of details Mm uh um yeah and i think this is what we end up doing uh but that is only the part related to the bytes transfer part. So right. there's a lot of other things like integrating um, game analytics, for example, that is part of what we do as well. Um, taking care of the databases that store the information uh, of, you know, your saves and, and uh, the game sessions and all of that. So that's also part of what online people do. Um,
0: yeah, and then you also mentioned voice chat yep. and uh, matchmaking. Matchmaking, yeah.
2: So that's a big uh, rabbit hole as well <laughs> because you have to take care of, you know, the player's killer ratings and that's a big topic that people usually have debates over, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. and then on Reddit posts and stuff, oh, is, are they taking my player style into this and stuff? So yeah, I don't know the exact details of, uh, of things, but yeah, you take into account player ratings. You take into account their distance from other players. So you don't want to match make somebody from the end of the earth to somebody else. Um, so all of these kind of constraints leads to what can be considered an optimization problem from a computer science perspective. You're trying to optimize the best kind of match and um, yeah, it gets complicated because the more constraints you add, the less the pool of players you have. Right. And then they will end up waiting forever sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and then you have, you know, different platforms, PC versus consoles yeah. and cross play or not and yeah, and, and yeah. how do you match them together? And if and, they turn off yeah.
2: the cross play, then you're in a bad situation because <laughs> you're only, you know, you're only restricted to that pool of yeah. players. Um yeah, but that's that's some of the stuff that uh, is considered online. So as you, as you can see, there's a lot of different things. And sometimes you have to write in different programming languages, for example, and different frameworks um, to be able to handle these different things. So it's not like, you know, it's, sometimes it's completely agnostic from the game engine or, um, technology that is used. And we have multiple in Ubisoft, for example. Mm.
1: I'm uh, one thing I thought about. We should have uh, other examples of stuff. So was like shooting things, exploding barrels, gun sounds. We should have the person wants to pat someone on the shoulder or like hug them. How does that synchronize across the yeah, server? so something <laughs> something like that. And if you're just to keep in mind for the future. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, but what I was thinking about when you talked about like giant maps and synchronizing players, one of the first things that pops into my mind is Eve Online. Uh, the spaceship MMO where they have so many players in battles. Uh, mm-hmm. We're talking thousands of people. Uh, yeah. I remember 4,000 was a record and then they just keep adding because people just keep yeah, as growing. Soon as, there, as soon as there's a record, I mean, they <laughs> get a couple more yeah. people in. The online <laughs> player is going to, we're going to have a bigger battle than that. I yeah. don't know what they reach now. Yeah. But they have, they, since they have so many dots, if you ever seen one of these battles, it's chaos. Yeah. But they slow down the server, like instead of trying to deal with all of that that you were talking about now, like synchronizing all four to 10,000 players at the same time, they just slow down the, uh, the server until they reach, I think, 10% of game speed, Okay, I think is the least they can go down to.
0: Yeah, that actually that actually sounds like a feature to me. I mean, like I mean, it the is, more it people, is. the more epic the battle, the more slow mo it's in. Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah until, It adds to the dramatic yeah, uh, until effect. you've been
1: at your computer for four hours and <laughs> your ship has moved. Like, de, 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 de. yeah.
2: Otherwise. I mean, I mean, that that is one way to fix the problem is to not be um, sending updates at a very frequent rate mm-hmm. and a huge amount of updates as well, um, because there's only a limit that you reach on your computing hardware. And the only option you will have available is to, you know, yeah. Increase the resources you that you have, but that will increase the cost as well. Yeah. So that is a big problem because, you know, uh, our, our job is to try to cut the cost of these things because, you know, and sometimes because it's wasteful kind of computation as well. You don't really need to be sending everything all the time. You can at least simulate some things. And, uh, and some of these games might have this kind of deterministic simulation thing going on, which only requires like um, just a few inputs because, you know, I could be just sending uh, some sort of synchronized time between the players. And um, the synchronized time can help, uh, can start like a random number generator and that random number generator can generate chaos that you think is random, but it's not at all. It's completely controlled. And it's only synchronized between us with a very little amount of bytes being sent over the network. So that's one trick of doing it. The trick with the lower frame rate on the server. And uh, yeah, and then you start uh, getting into things like you know trying to do uh, multiple servers running and communicating with each other but making it seamless so that people don't uh, think that they are you know communicating with people from other servers they're just it's happening as if it's you know as if it's, as if it's, as if it's we, we're all in the same place basically mm. uh, and yeah there are a lot of details in in that area <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you mentioned it before. The word I, I think netcode is one thing that people <laughs> tend to say, and then there is the 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 word tick rate, yeah, or the term tick rate. Um, it's interesting. In some games, you can actually see it more in action. If we compare like games like World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy fourteen, they move very differently. Now I'm just using MMOs again. Yeah, <laughs> you, I, you can tell uh, that we play I,
0: vastly different games because yeah, if I were I, to come up with a, an example, I, I would say CS:GO.
1: Yeah, well, sure. But yeah. I, I'm, the, the, the tick rate of those two games are is so different. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's my excuse yep. for talking about my favorite genre. But <laughs> I, I have this uh, one of the senior online programmers here as well explained this to me once with drawing a big thing on a whiteboard after a meeting. It was a lot of fun. But what is like tick rate? What does that mean in the context of, of online programming and online games?
2: Okay, well... Yeah, that is sort of like what I was mentioning with the frame rate mm-hmm. uh, part. So, you know, there, um, like a normal game loop, it would be running at a certain tick rate, which you know, with modern games, it's usually sixty frames per second, and that's that's the tick rate. But that's that's only valid, uh, for like, you know, simulation purposes. Like, if you're rendering things to the player, that needs to be at a high tick rate basically but the server doesn't need to tick at that amount so it can it can receive inputs from players and then run a specific simulation like uh, did did that bullet actually hit that surface or not and do all the math required using ray casting and everything and then reply to the players uh, with that information and then the players can sort of you know uh, they will just simulate it right away but what you see with the tick rate thing is that you know uh, the server can um send information about the player other players movements at a much slower tick rate um so it only sends every 10 frames or so and then on the client side you you have to just uh, kind of inter- interpolate uh, this This um, movement using the current position and the direction that the player was heading, and then you can sort of simulate how they are running uh you don 't need to have all this information being sent for every single frame uh during that motion right so, so that is and it works not just for motion it works for a lot of different things that affect the gameplay uh so simulations being one of them like physics and stuff um but yeah i mean that's that's i think the 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 most useful example is the player motion thing so all the game engines out there they do kind of prediction uh and that prediction can be good or bad depending on how you write it but um yeah if 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 like You know, things like packet loss and all of this, you know, terms that get thrown around in the netcode scenario, like jitter and packet loss and all of this, this can also affect the, the kind of prediction that will happen. Because, you know, if you're not getting enough data to do your interpolation correctly, then you will find weird things happening. Like, you know, you go fall in the map and stuff like that. Not you, but other players, you see them falling in the map or going through the wall and stuff like that. And once the server sort of, you know, gets back to you with the correct information, you'll find them snapping back to where yes. they should be. And then that breaks the immersion or, you know, the fun of the game, of course. Uh, did that get I the think, tech rate part? Yeah, or? I think that yeah. covered uh much.
1: question. It's just fun to kind of go into these, like, terms that so many people use. And yeah. Dory is obviously guilty of.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. Like... When you're talking about uh, like server architecture and how it works, server versus client, mm-hmm. like I, I I hate to to say it because it kind of maybe shows off my <laughs> IQ a little bit. But back in the back in the day, like if we take CS:GO for example, yeah. like when you're playing, you you can see the viewpoint of your character, and mm-hmm. then you can go into spectator view and kind of move the camera around freely and look at the map. I thought that is what the server is. <laughs> like the okay. server is just you know, simulating the entire game, every single person. Yeah. You know, with the graphics and everything, and we're getting kinda of view of that output.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, you But you're... obviously
0: that is not what's <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're just getting some positions and like uh, the current speed of that player, uh, the ID of the weapon they are holding now. Yep. kind of like really primitive information and then the game client, uh, the game basically running on your end, will try to do its best to simulate using this information, whatever you're, you're seeing. So yeah, it, it can get really messed up. Yeah. So
0: like for example, <laughs> in, in a multiplayer game, say that there's an explosion right here. What mm-hmm. what the server is doing is, is saying there's an explosion and it's located right here and then sends that information to yep. all the players and locally the client will then... Simulate that explosion
2: on every one of them. But here's an interesting fun fact that not all the time these things are transmitted. So in, in a lot of this networking code, you will have kind of a best effort approach to things. So something like the explosion or, you know, the muzzle flash on your weapon or something that is sort of cosmetic in a way, it doesn't affect your gameplay. Sometimes if there's a huge bandwidth congestion, it might not even travel. So you might, you know, you find that you hit somebody or, you know, a, a, an explosion happened and everybody's like, oh, that was amazing. And then you did not see anything. But you got affected by it. Like mm-hmm. your health got reduced because mm-hmm. this is the critical gameplay. Yeah. Yeah, or, or you got the kill. Uh, yeah, yeah, or you yeah. got the kill. But yeah. you never saw the muzzle flash or the blood decal or, you know, blood splatter showing up because the server never sent you anything about that. Yeah. And then you're just wondering what happened here, you know. So so is that also
0: like a part of the online programmer's job is prioritizing what is critical information and what is yeah. going down the line. is like this would be nice to have, but mm-hmm. you know,
2: if you don't, uh, <laughs> yeah, they'll survive. You, you kind of provide the framework for it, but probably that will be more of the gameplay mm-hmm. programming who's, who's actually saying, oh, but this is critical for the gameplay or not. But yeah, you, you sort of provide the kind of capability for them to actually say, I want this to be transferred reliably and this thing, okay, do your best effort to for it to reach the destination uh, client. Okay. It uh, doesn't make it.
0: Although I have a feeling that might be some meetings, you know, after, uh, <laughs> after some Q&A testing, it's like the, the gameplay programmers like, everything I make is vital. I mean. Yeah, everything is important. <laughs> everything has to be there. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's that's what you, I mean, that's what you try to yeah, get of course. to. But, you know, once you have uh, 200 players or like EVE online, then you, you start sort of sacrificing that because, you know, in the, in the middle of the chaos, you don't care about this explosion happening way in the back or something. <laughs> no. Yeah,
1: I, I also love the, the physics and coming to the electric signals that we talked about before. Is, uh, <laughs> no, you, we talk about like, okay, so the information is sent to the server that will mm-hmm. then run a simulation and send it back. When we talk about it in these terms, it sounds like it takes a couple of seconds. Yeah, but we're talking milliseconds here.
2: Yeah, we're it talking just, milliseconds here. But yeah. but um, I mean,
1: it's just fascinating think because, you know, it's similes. <laughs> it's like uh, okay, it's traveling so, continents and stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah, and exactly. it's just milliseconds. It's like, yeah.
2: But yeah, I mean, if you're playing some casual game, you don't really get affected by that. And a lot of different games, like different genres, they don't really suffer when, you know, you have a, a very large ping which is the latency, basically. But um, if you're, you know, competitive CS:GO player, then you care about, you know, I saw this person right now, and I shot the mm. the, the the bullet. It should have hit his head. Uh, wh- why didn't that happen? And yeah, sometimes.
1: Uh... But I'm just wondering more for for your line of work or the, like the online programmer. Uh, you talked also about optimization before. Mm-hmm. That, I, I guess you must have this constantly in mind when yep. when writing the code. Like, okay, this code that I'm writing now, it can only take a couple of milliseconds to execute.
2: Yeah, I mean that that is uh, a big concern, of course, because you know our code has to run somewhere on the server and it has to run probably next to the game code as well. So mm-hmm. we're we're taking some budget and they're taking some of the other budget on the on the whole pc but um we are also concerned with the bandwidth optimization so you know a boolean for example in you know programming it's it's a byte and it's basically eight bits so sometimes you can maybe use each bit for a different kind of flag or information so you don't have to say you know um You can use a boolean to say this is true or not but you can use it as a way to store information on each individual bit so you can then send eight pieces of information in just one byte so that's you know that's one way to do kind of optimizations but there's a lot of other things like compressing the data and um yeah um, there's a lot of things that can happen during that bandwidth optimization part Uh, also regarding you know the is this an important event should I send it or not Mm. Uh, prioritizing this kind of information Uh, but yeah of course you have to take care of you know your data structures and algorithms basically Uh, and uh, surprisingly you have to deal with a lot of these things that you know you you might study in university and you think you'd never use them again but (laughs) and you'll never use them in online programming but you end up using a lot of things that you know they intersect with graphics as well Mm. for example you know the same kind of data structures that are used here and there because you know at the end of the day you're also dealing with locations in the world and you know 3d points and you have to uh make measurements oh uh, how close this 3d point is to another point in the world and there are data structures for that to do it efficiently and stuff so yeah you care about you know each cycle uh, Mm. hopefully of your processor working but also about the bandwidth because that is surprisingly where the cost sometimes comes from because, you know, if your game is running in, you know, some cloud infrastructure, for example, the servers, that's, I mean, or, or even locally, you have a lot of data traveling around. And once you travel between different continents as well, the cost of that increases. So you need to watch out for all of this things, these things and, you know, try to reduce the bandwidth as much as possible without sacrificing the game. Right. And yeah, that's a key part of what we do.
1: I, I'd recommend if you, you're, in, it's not about gaming as such, but Olaf Berg, we did an interview with him uh, a long time ago about programming in general, when this was called the Fika Sessions, just go back in the feed and you can find it. But um, he talked about like, you were talking about this information, like you could send, send uh, eight bits in, in one mm-hmm. byte and stuff. We talked about patching games. Uh, yep. Similar, how it compares and and analyzes everything. Okay, so what bytes do I actually need to replace? What bits do I need to replace? Yeah, uh, which is also much more straightforward, I guess. Sorry, <laughs> if it's much more complicated <laughs> than I than I could possibly imagine, but uh, it's still th- this comp- the constant comparison between one thing and another thing. Yeah, exactly.
0: Now, w- one thing that I kind of want to to bring up is because I've. I've watched some GDC talks on on programming. You know, basically not understanding <laughs> what they were talking about. I got maybe the, like, you maybe you watch review.
1: maybe so, you yeah. watch an episode of the Fika sessions with Olaf ah. Vargar talked mm-hmm. about programming.
0: Yeah, which you should do. No, but <laughs> programming you you're programming in a language. Mm-hmm. Mean, meaning, you have a set language uh, that provides functions that you then use. And but then I've heard this expression that yes programming is a language, but every programmer speaks with a different accent.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's... And
0: every programmer is not only, it's not only like Shakespeare writing a new book, he's also like creating a bunch of the words and sentence structures as he goes along. So it's like, it sounds so complicated. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it can get complicated, but um... I love how casually you said <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, it can get complicated. <laughs> it can get complicated. Like uh, if 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 you you know, like we can talk about a little bit about you know what this part with the programming languages. Um, the thing is about programming languages is that you know they're, they're just a tool. At the end of the day, you, you can you can if you if you're crazy, enough, you know, if you can go ahead and write zeros and ones, and the computer will understand you but nobody does that because, you know, it will take a long time. So we invented kind of a, a higher level representation and then higher and then higher. And then we have what's the, the high level language we use right now. You know, you can take C++ or Java or any of these things. And they were created to help solve certain problems. So it's it's not a, an, a, it's not a great thing if you become like brainwashed by just using a certain language that this is the thing that I I need to speak uh basically for all my tasks because sometimes it's more complicated than what I want to do if, for example take python for example it's a it's a really nice language that you can quickly prototype with ideas in your head you don't really need to write this very complex c++ code that needs to compile forever and and things like that just to get your idea across so it's important to learn different programming languages and become fluent in them uh, but that takes time of course um, but yeah the problem sometimes is that people you know they sometimes they don't they forget about that programming is also kind of The logic behind what you're doing so the the pro the programming language is just a tool to arrive you know to to make that logic that you had in your head come to life basically so it doesn't really matter what programming language you use uh it's more about the logic so Mm. you know how how you think in terms of like flow charts and stuff how you know if this happens, this is the, then happens or else this happens and so on. So this kind of logic is, is what is, what's really important. And, you know, I try to encourage people to really focus on that more than the programming language, because yeah, if you understand this, if you know what you're, if you know what you want to do, then you can use any programming language to arrive at the final product. Of course, here in, in the game industry, we care about performance and stuff. So you would, find a lot of projects that use c plus plus and uh it's just because it ha- it it's down to the metal uh kind of language it doesn't have a lot of things that are you know like garbage collection and things that help you avoid errors basically uh you have to do it yourself yeah, just just right. be perfect <laughs> you just have to be perfect um yeah so it's it's a lot of these things and um yeah um we can maybe talk about how what makes beautiful code if if you
1: yeah i I just want to mention that though you use the word logic and and when I tried over twenty years ago now to learn any form of coding, <laughs> the logic was one of the big hurdles, yeah, not the only hurdle, obviously, since i <laughs> was terrible at it, but the logic in itself, like approaching it with a programmer's logic, it was for me really difficult,
2: yeah yeah that that kind of requires, you know, um, some training and, and it's, it also helps if you, um, attack it from like, you know, by, by learning more into mathematics. So, you know, understanding like logical reasoning and, you know, there's a whole branch of mathematics called discrete mathematics, which helps a lot with this logical computations, you know, and 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 things and proving things that, you know, I wrote this algorithm, but uh, can you prove it, that it will never break or, you know, reach a state where it deadlocks and nothing continues? It just holds there forever. So... Having some mathematical background helps a little bit with the logic part. Um, this explains so much. <laughs> <laughs> good to know.
1: I, don't, I feel that's bad now. Right. Yeah.
2: But I mean, it's just people sometimes are also afraid of math, so they don't get too much into it. But yeah, I mean, I think this is really critical for you to be a, pr- a really good programmer is to, is to have the math mm-hmm. right there.
1: But is this the logic and, and stuff to, to touch briefly upon the the code is beautiful part? Yep. Is that how it flows from the logic and the yeah? I mean electrical currents and all that? <laughs> yeah. There there there
2: there is a few things that I consider, and it's kind of like everybody has their own opinion about it. Uh, but what I consider as beautiful code is um, code that is to the point. Uh, you know, it doesn't use. More features of the language than what's required. Because in C you can write code that can appear as completely alien language to some people who don't know it. Even C programmers, you know, you can you can always throw at them something that they don't know. That's especially the case in C. But if you're doing that, you know, just for the sake of showing off, then it's it's not that great. So If you know exactly what feature of the language you're using for this specific task, then, you know, you're being concise and you're being, you know, to the point. And also, you know, code that has, of course, meaningful names, you know, you're not finding random this person's name in the code as as a variable that you're storing things in. Uh, Of course, you'd find that in university level sometimes, but yeah. you know meaningful names and to me the best part is when you write read somebody's code and you you see that they are taking into account the architecture of the computer that this code is supposed to run on so they're taking into account the memory architecture they're taking into account the different uh, cpu caches and the gpu caches and it's it's all in how they wrote the code, in how they wrote this for loop, uh, and how they wrote uh, you know, these specific conditions to avoid, uh, checking, you know, using an f condition or not. Um, that to me is is beautiful. And sometimes to arrive at really elegant code, you need to actually prove it using mathematics. Otherwise, you know, you'll end up having a lot of spaghetti stuff. <laughs>
1: This is why I love talking to programmers, yeah, that's why I'm just completely silent right now. <laughs> I, I, no i think I think it's wonderful to listen to because ag- again we we touch upon it like when you hear programmers talk about this and, and we see it in you now as well, if you're watching the YouTube version that is <laughs> kind of like the passion in 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 the eyes of programmers when they talk about talk about this stuff so i I could have listened to this for an hour, yeah, and
0: <laughs> also like the philosophy of what you just said about beauty in code i i feel fits perfectly for an online programmer because it is about making the code as streamlined and without fluff as as possible because you yep. need to like you said, send it back and forth and it's hardware
2: all the time with the yeah uh, i you, you have to think about these bytes uh, all the time <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can't you the, the we have tears in our right? eyes <laughs> <laughs> um but if if uh now like we're fascinated now i've given up on my programming career but oh, um, don't. That, <laughs> that, di- that didn't even start um but we probably have listeners and viewers that are very interested in programming mm-hmm. um maybe some of them are started maybe some of them are brand new do you have any tips for them where to go and how to like move forward with their programming
2: yeah um i i would uh, of course you know i would suggest that, you know, if if you have the opportunity to pursue a degree in computer science, that would be the best thing. But also on the sides, uh, you can be self-teaching yourself a lot of things. And if you want to work in the game industry, now it's like, there is no excuse for not being able to learn uh, any of the things we, we talked about today. Um, you know, you can read books and there are a lot of books that, I can suggest regarding C++, for example, you have the tour of C++ by the inventor of, of the language himself, Bjorn uh, Storstrup. And you also have um, the C++ template complete guidebook, which is like an 800 pages book about a specific feature of the language. And that you can tell why <laughs> <laughs> it can get complicated. But these are two books that I, I suggest to anybody to to read and sort of get an overview of C++, for example, which is a more relevant language to to the industry. Um, Then I would suggest also learning about like computer architecture, you know, like what is inside the CPU, the the different caching, uh, um, uh, the different caches in the CPU and how, you know, how the CPU interacts with the memory. Why is it a slow thing? Why, um, Why is it slow to move data from your cpu or from your ram to the gpu ram all of these things you can you'll find a lot of lectures online and there are a lot of books as well and nowadays you can even ask chat gpt or gpt4 if you're you're asking um, for, for kind of tips on what to read and stuff um yeah and there's a lot of you know game engines out there you know of course unity and unreal engine all of these architectural things we talked about you know with uh, when to send packets or not uh, reliable versus unreliable and all of these things you can basically go ahead and learn them and you know you'll become relevant uh, right away to the stuff we're doing here as well mm. um, yeah and there are a lot of tools and i i think that you know every programmer should should be you know, um, you know, make themselves familiar with um, stuff like profilers, uh, which basically they look at your code. They try to measure how much time it takes in each function, for example, and then getting really good with these tools will help you eliminate a lot of, you know, problems down the line in your job. When you're trying to optimize things and you don't want to be learning tools uh, at that point no you should come in with with and with the information and and it's out there uh something like entel vtune for example it's completely free and people can use it to learn this kind of information um something that is we're moving towards because of the cloud architecture and you know leveraging the cloud and stuff uh, is docker containers that is something that people should also learn about, um, not a lot of universities teach it, you know, when you're in university, but, um, containerization and orchestration of, of workloads on the cloud and stuff that is a very important topic as well, that people can learn a lot on, on Coursera or, or any other platform. And you have tools for observability, you know, once you have your things on, on the cloud, how can you monitor? The, you know, what your program is doing and stuff. So there are tools like Prometheus, which collects data metrics from your application. And there's like dashboards like Grafana, for example, that you can display these things in terms of graphs. And yeah, all of these are open source tools. You can go ahead and use them and learn about them. And they're very vital to any company out there, whether it's games, fintech, as my previous company, any kind of industry you'll have these tools sort of there, maybe with different programming languages, but they'll always be there. Profiling, observability, stuff like that.
0: I I love that. Not not only how to get going and started, but a path towards specializations that will be valuable in the future.
1: <laughs> what, once upon a time, I was told that learning PowerPoint is a really good thing because not <laughs> enough people know PowerPoint. And now, <laughs> <laughs> and now this. Uh, but uh, link's in uh, the description.
2: Yeah, we can course. put that.
0: Yeah, I I think uh, that's it for for now. I mean, the well is deep. We've we've, we've glossed over (laughs) a lot of deep holes where we could have dived in and talked for hours and hours. But, uh, well, we want to keep it snappy and consumable. But uh, thank you so much for your time, Omar. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, shown a light on a lot of stuff that, that, uh, well, I've been wondering about. (laughs) Specifically, don't complain about... Net code or at least not using that term because it's not a term that actually really exists, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much, and you uh, much see me. you on the next one bye.